Jesus had not yet debated with the teachers in the temple when the Apostle Paul was born. Paul, though Jewish through and through, (laughs) was nevertheless born a Roman citizen. The Apostle was probably 12 when he began school. At the feet of the genius, the great Gamaliel, he was trained as a Pharisee. He was not, apparently, in Israel during the ministry of Jesus or in Jerusalem when Jesus was crucified. But he was there just a few years later when Jesus' disciple, Stephen, was martyred, stoned to death. And our Paul, still going by his Jewish name, Saul, approved of the murder and for a few more years sought to bring others to Stephen's fate. He had never met the Lord to whom Stephen cried out as they killed him. But that was about to change. In his arrogance, he advanced to Damascus intent on stamping out the worship of this one whom he had never met. He came to seek out the disciples of Christ and watch them suffer. Instead, he was led sightless to the town and brought to a room where he refused food and drink. And then one of those he came to destroy showed him grace. For on the road, he had finally met this one to whom so many already gave worship. He was blinded physically to mirror his spiritual darkness. For three days, he contemplated what it could mean before God sent him the devout and oh-so-kind Ananias who prayed for him and he received his sight again. And from that moment, Paul never stopped speaking of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The risen Jesus, in some way, we're not told directly, but he taught Paul in person, as he had the other apostles. For his Lord told him he was to be an apostle to the Gentiles. For most of the next two decades, Paul walked literally thousands of miles all over that part of the world, telling, preaching, teaching of the very Jesus whom he had persecuted. And then God did another amazing thing. He called Paul out of the Middle East into that land we now call Europe, into a decidedly Gentile, very Roman colony, Philippi. It was a bit of a roller coaster ride, to be sure. He was supported by a wonderful small group of God-fearers immediately. But within a short time, ended up beaten, thrown in jail, in stocks, in the darkest hole that the place had. <laughs> then God shook the whole place and rattled the doors loose, as well as releasing everyone's bonds. The jailer, preferring to kill himself uh, to suffering the tortures Rome inflicted on those who let their prisoners escape, was stopped by Paul. So shocked was this man by Paul's actions that he and his entire household joined the growing band of Christians in that church in Philippi. 
Both blessings and difficulties continued, as did, most importantly, the wonderful relationship between Paul and this often beleaguered group of Christ followers. Not five years later, Paul, on a trip of benevolence to Jerusalem, is nevertheless arrested. It's another three years before he is finally brought to Rome, where for two years he has significant freedom to tell all who will listen of Christ in his own rented home. The rent paid at least in part with funds supplied by his friends in Philippi. And in that time he writes the Philippians a letter of thanks, a letter of encouragement, a letter of instruction. Have you ever flown in a small plane. I'm not talking a commuter airline. I'm talking one of those little ones that just seats four people. feels like a tiny little sports car when you get in it. Most of us have been in commercial airliners where you're 30,000 feet up in the air, unless the plane is taking off or landing, and you really can't see much of anything on the ground. But in a small plane... You can fly by things you've walked by or driven past and you get a whole new appreciation for what you thought you had experienced from every angle. For the last six months, we've walked through Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Maybe it felt like we were crawling through it sometimes. We've been moving pretty methodically. (laughs) So for the middle of our talk today, I'd like to take a quick flight over this path that we really do know well. So please climb on board. That means, like, grab your Bible and (laughs) see if you can follow along. That's what that means. Buckle up. That means open to the letter of Philippians. And settle in comfortably to your seat. We are approved for takeoff. (laughs) We started by recognizing Paul's right to write and wondered why anyone would listen to us as we expressed Christ to them. Paul and Timothy were servants for the glory of God. They were programmed for this. They were not, and we are not, just walking around the block here. We have a destination, an eternal life in a perfect new creation. And servants glory not for themselves, but for their master. They serve the one who will bring them into eternity. He will bring us there. Will we serve him now? Paul spoke of their growing love, agape, godly love, and how it must be with knowledge and discernment, not just some haphazard mess of feelings. Love with the heart, the mind, and our spirits. We have no way, he said, to approve the excellent unless we love with our whole being and thus be pure and blameless on that day when Christ returns, able to give glory and praise to God. Paul told them he could celebrate the good news when bad news surrounded him. People all around asked, Why is Paul imprisoned? And some, even people in Caesar's own household, believed. True, there were those who opposed him and the message of Christ, 
their very criticisms, though, brought the name of Christ to more people's ears. They meant to demean him, but they, Paul says, preached Christ. When you combine that with the sincere message of those whose boldness grew with Paul's imprisonment, well, it worked. (laughs) And it brought Paul joy. Evil may have many faces. Bad news may come in many forms. But God answers them all with joy. At another time, we looked at how Paul said to them, Love ya, but but I'd rather be with Christ. You know, are we ready to fly? (laughs) Then we need to have courage like Paul to honor Christ in our bodies, whether we live or die. Die so we could be with Christ now. Or live because others need us. So, we stay in this world so others can learn of Christ. We listened as Paul told them to man up. (laughs) Do your duty. Let your life be worthy of the good news of Christ. Yes, you will suffer. But the one who you serve grants that to you so that you may share in his suffering. So stop looking out for your own interest. Care for others like Christ cared for others. Christ, who was God the servant. Do we know the true cost of the cross? That the divine Son added a human nature to his person and died. He experienced death, even death on the cross. Paul told them to have a mind like Christ. Do we think we have a mind like Christ? Do we humble ourselves like he did? If we are his, we will have a mind to will and to work. Do we know why we want to do what we do? It's because He gives us the will to work for Him. Well, how are we persons if even our will is determined by God? I don't know. But somehow we choose the work that God wills for us as we live out our salvation. A salvation that will one day lead us to perfect blamelessness and innocence. Even though we now are surrounded by a twisted generation, we can have joy if we trust our Lord so completely that we don't grumble or complain. Not returning to Eden, no, going on to something much, much better. Paul went on in his letter to the Philippians telling them to consider Timothy one of proven worth. Timothy, who did not look out for his own interests but that of others. In particular, his care of Paul. And then, the Philippian church. Timothy proved his worth. How do we prove ours? And then there was Epaphroditus, the local yokel. (laughs) 
What is this guy worth? Sometimes those closest to us get the worst treatment. Epaphroditus was not just a pastor in their church. He nearly gave his life in service to them and for them. And they needed, Paul said, to give him honor. And then came Paul's abrupt, almost savage warning about false teachers, those who walk as enemies of the cross. It is critically important that we learn to identify false and true teachers. It's not hard to understand why Paul was so concerned with false teachers. He was one. (laughs) He was but he had abandoned that ship and was going full speed ahead. Gain or loss, all was for Christ. We, like Paul, are moving on to perfection. Impossible for us in this world. We need to experience resurrection for absolute perfection to occur. Still, even now, we can achieve maturity. Same Greek word a perfection of the knowledge of Christ's resurrection. So let us press on. Press on in the real lives we live now, which may be filled with troubles and troubling people, (laughs) but we have a real hope, a citizenship in heaven, so we can stand firm. Our real hope, though, has a parallel. A sad parallel. For all will have eternal bodies. Heaven or hell? Glorious bodies or destruction? Paul, concerned for the church body, is not terribly concerned that he might embarrass Yodi and Syntyche, specifically asking them to learn to work together. And he asked the leaders of the church to work with them to make it happen. In fact, the entire church was to be involved. Our reasonable, unselfish, humble behavior is encouraged by our knowledge of our eternal home together. In fact, it is a prerequisite to unity in Christian living. Of course, sometimes relationship is done wrong. People cross proper boundaries. And we have to deal with that as well. Paul puts together everything that he has said up to this point by showing them on what they should think, on what they should contemplate, and on what they should practice, as they had learned from and seen Paul practice. Then the God of peace will be with them, and he will be with all who believe and think on these things as they live as Paul lived. The last thing with which Paul dealt is money. What attitude should we have when it comes to money? The proper view of material possessions, living, giving, and receiving, which led us to look at the specifics of what to do with the money and possessions that God has given us. And then Paul, in closing, reminded them that they are a part of something much greater than just one church in one city, Roman colony though it be. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you 
All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. They are a part of the universal church. A church that may include those in their enemy's camp. <laughs> okay? Caesar's household. They're all saints together. In fact, we are all saints together, for time only temporarily separates us. And now, we've landed. <laughs> but don't unbuckle just yet. We haven't reached the terminal. There's one thing we have never done that the believers in Philippi got to experience. You see, when Paul sent this letter, the church there all gathered together. Everybody came together and someone read the letter in front of everyone. Usually they read it two or three times in a row, some, maybe more. As the last part of our time together in this letter, I'd like us to enjoy it like they did. Say, well, we won't read it multiple times. <laughs> and if you don't want to pull out the reading glasses, you can watch on the big screen. Or you can just sit back, maybe even close your eyes, and let the words inspired by the Holy Spirit flow over you. Are you ready? Paul and Timothy. Servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that, from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, 
you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Oh, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk 
according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgivings, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now, at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. And the saints greet you, especially.
those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Live your life such that the people around you ask why you live the life you do. What will we do with these words of Paul's? No idle question. If the words of this letter do not change our lives, our faith is not real. Our relationship with Christ is not real. Let's please make sure that what we have is real. (laughs) May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit.